Welcome to Planet Sleep. I'm your host, Josh, and tonight we'll be jetting off into the solar system to visit one of our neighbors, the planet Mars. Before we go, I wanted to remind you that if you haven't subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts, please make sure you're subscribed now. Or maybe you're watching on YouTube. Check to see if you're subscribed and you have the notification bell turned on. That way you never miss a future trip to Planet Sleep. Also, Planet Sleep is brought to you by my CBD and wellness company, Higher Love Wellness. If you've never tried CBD before, it has a wide range of health benefits. It promotes better sleep. It can help you relax and take the edge off at the end of the day. Higher Love Wellness offers a wide variety of different products, including topicals, edible gummies, which we just released our tropical blend, which are absolutely delicious, including CBD dabs, one of the most effective ways to consume CBD. But best of all, our CBD doesn't contain any THC, which is the psychoactive component in cannabis or marijuana, which gets you high. So enjoy the relaxing benefits of CBD without worrying about any of the other stuff. For all my listeners, I offer you a code SLEEP to save 10% off your order at checkout. Again, that's code SLEEP for 10% off at higherlovewellness.com. Before we take off though, let's just take a minute to find somewhere quiet to sit or lie down. And remember that everything is going to be okay. The world's been turning for millions of years and chances are it's going to keep on turning. So no reason to feel anxiety or stress about anything. Because at the end of the day, we're on a giant rock flying through outer space in these flesh vehicles. So what do you got to worry about? Just sit back and enjoy the ride. Within the bright white interior of your space hut, a row of jagged rocks rest on the research table of your study room. Each one sits under a beam of light. They are small, twisted, and red. A vacant microscope and magnifying glass rest at the end of the table above a series of crumpled notebooks. You've looked over each layer of rock sample time and time again, searching for any remote clue of life on Mars, any imprint of microscopic alien creatures left behind within the desert rock of this planet. And you set yet another jagged space rock back onto the table. Its dust falls to the hard granite surface. Maybe now with this rock, Retrieved from the depths by your autonomous rover, you might finally find what you've been looking for during these past eight months of solitude. Before another day of work, 
you activate the sprinkler system of your indoor farm and eat a bag of dehydrated potatoes and raspberries before suiting up for the frigid, dust-covered space rock on which you found yourself. Another day of barely adequate food, freezing temperatures, and barren rock all around you. You press the button on a small golden box equipped to the hip of your suit. A green light beams from its side panel. The MOXIE device activates. The Mars Oxygen in situ resource utilization experiment, or MOXIE for short. This small yet crucial device converts the Martian carbon dioxide rich atmosphere into breathable oxygen. The box acts as a small robotic tree within the fanny pack along your hip, a small replication of plants creating oxygen, as they would on Earth. The oxygen nozzles open inside the collar of your reflective helmet, and the cool air from the moxie machine fills a small compartment around your head. With small bursts of air pulsing into the helmet, you breathe in and out. As the vapor from your mouth appears and disappears on the inside of your visor, a series of checklists appear on the heads-up display. Oxygen, check. Heart rate, check. Pressure, check. Thruster fuel, check. Sanitized sample vials, check. The robotic arm of your kitchen counter sets down a corn husk and waves goodbye as you turn the hand crank wheel lock of your main door. You reach the interim chamber, a small foyer decorated with a Persian rug and LED Christmas lights. As you close the door behind you, a line of nozzles appears from the wall and hoses your spacesuit down with a sanitation spray. Although you search for life on Mars, you make sure it's not the fragments of life you've accidentally carried onto the planet yourself. A red light flashes, and the second and final door to the outside begins to slowly open up, revealing the red landscape before you. A white sky above, cackling mountainsides, and craters filled with dust. Oh Mars, the red planet, our cosmic neighbor within the solar system, in many ways, Earth and Mars are very much the same. In the lens of our system, it is so very near. We see its polar mountaintops, its white clouds, its seasons, and its 24-hour day. A mirror to Earth, we wish it was, in hopes of other life, of other celestial beings traveling within the same cosmic pathways if only another dot within the Milky Way galaxy could shelter another bipedal humanoid like us. We seek desperately to find any trace of life within our barren, dust-covered planet of red. On average, Mars orbits the Sun 140 million miles from Earth, 
The closest it will ever get to Earth is 38 million miles. As two ships in the night, our days are similar. As both planets rotate around their axes in a similar frame of time, yet the time it takes for Mars to orbit the Sun is equal to 687 Earth days. Our trajectory around the Sun is only close every two Earth years, a crucial window of opportunity for reaching the other planet. As gas and dust combined in a giant ball around the Sun, Mars formed roughly 4.5 billion years ago and is the second smallest planet in our solar system, only second to Mercury. The entire surface area of Mars is almost equal to all of the continents on Earth. Imagine, if the Sun is a door, the Earth is a dime, and Mars is an aspirin tablet. It is a planet of cliffs and sand traps, jagged spires and massive craters. Compared to that of the Navajo Nation or the Mojave Desert, canyons and rock formations cover the entirety of the planet, where small divots and craters fill the void where rivers and lakes used to reside. Now, it is nothing but red, dry, and vast. The iconic red color is a result of the crust being made of iron, reacting to trace amounts of water vapor and oxygen within the Martian atmosphere. This iron crust oxidizes, rusts, and turns red. When Mars and the Earth are at their closest, their orbits brush past each other, and Mars can be seen from Earth with the naked eye. We can even see the red tinge of its surface. It is so red, in fact, that the ancient Romans saw this planet as a symbol of blood so much so that they named their god of war after Mars. Within the lore of Greek mythology, the red planet is known as Ares, and the two moons that orbit the planet are named after the children of Ares, Phobos and Dimos, and they hang in the sky above. You exit the portal from your living quarters and step out into the cool desert of Mars. A two-inch blanket of dust covers the roof, and even more is built up against the walls. You walk to the garage and sweep another blanket of dust from the solar panels. You brush a bit of sand from the door handle on the side of the building and pull open the bay door. Inside there sits a glistening rover, pristine in its shelter fully charged and ready to collect a day's worth of space rock. After unplugging the rover from the charging station, the autonomous vehicle exits the garage. It begins its journey towards the next crater, searching for any trace of microbial life. A large track of wheel marks trail behind the giant rover, tracks that will disappear with time as the dust continues to blow across this planet settle. In the next bay of the garage, a small quadcopter blinks at full charge. On four metal legs, it stands ready for launch. So you grab the small remote controller hanging on the wall beside the bay door and pull its antenna from the module. The wings of the quadcopter begin spinning at incredible speeds as it lifts from the ground and launches towards the blank white sky.
Since the 1970s, scientists have sent a variety of spacecraft to Mars, each with its own goals and specialties. Orbiters were first sent to Mars to take pictures from within Mars orbit. Landers were sent as well as they entered the atmosphere of Mars and landed on its surface. Their goal was to take pictures from the ground, and as technology advanced, NASA began developing rovers, vehicles with the ability to move across the surface of Mars. NASA sent a total of five rovers to the surface of Mars. Sojourner, Spirit, Opportunity, Curiosity, and Perseverance each one more extensive and more powerful than the last. And due to the complexity of Mars' surface, its dusty ridges, vertical bluffs, and extremely tall mountains, these rovers needed a series of test drives and debugging before leaving Earth. Sojourner I landed on Mars in July 1997 and couldn't do much besides testify to NASA's ability. This first small rover, no bigger than 23 pounds, proved to the world that NASA could successfully send a rover to the surface and operate it. Not only did NASA succeed, but they also surpassed the operation goal of seven Martian days. The Sojourner remained active for 83 days on the surface of Mars and served as the foundation for all future rover expeditions. The second and third rovers Spirit and Opportunity were sent to Mars together as a pair, landing in January of 2004. Much larger than their predecessor, they each weighed 374 pounds, and their mission was to seek any trace of water on the surface. Although desolate and dry at first glance, this expedition proved that Mars had once been suitable for ancient life. It was once a wet planet, covered in water, much like Earth. The fourth, Curiosity, landed in August 2012, weighing a whopping 1,982 pounds. Its goal was to figure out if Mars had all of the necessary components of life, aside from water. Life on Earth needs carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur. These six components make up 99% of the human body and all living things on Earth. So from what we know of our own survival, if these elements could be found on Mars, this would indicate that life may one day be possible here, within the seemingly desolate lands of infinite dust and rock. During the Curiosity rover mission, NASA discovered the foundations of life existed on Mars, but they failed to find actual evidence of life. Curiosity was not equipped with the proper gear to find traces of actual life, only the components that could sustain it. Once again, NASA went to work on an even bigger and bolder rover for their next mission, the Perseverance. Many years passed as NASA developed and tested this rover, even through the pandemic. In the end, they built a 2,260-pound rover the size of an SUV. They equipped the Perseverance with a slew of cameras, arms, and tools 
to be the most versatile rover ever sent to Mars. Its goal? To look for signs of past and present life forms and see if one day humans could reach Mars themselves and survive. With the best chance of finding any sign of life, scientists knew that the question of where was more important than the question of how. Although compared to the rest of the solar system, Mars is one of the smallest neighbors. For a single rover the size of an SUV that can only travel at a top speed of 0.09 miles per hour, traveling the entire surface of Mars would be impossible. So they knew their landing area would be crucial when gathering information. After decades of surveillance, five exhausting years of study, and 60 potential candidates, they finally found a suitable region on Mars. It is known as the Jezero Crater, a large divot believed to have once been an ancient river delta, a lake flooded with water where multiple rivers flowed into. More than 3.5 billion years ago, a meteor struck the surface of Mars, leaving behind a 750 mile wide crater. And sometime after this, another small meteor hit the same spot forming the Jezero Crater. So Jezero is actually a crater within a crater, a perfect place for ancient waters of Mars to fill. Mars experiences wet and dry cycles, and 3.5 to 3.9 billion years ago, a wet cycle swept across the planet. Warmer temperatures came along with it, making the climate suitable for life. The ancient water spilled over the crater walls and flowed down into Jezero carrying the sediment and clay minerals from across the surface. If any trace of microbial life is present on Mars, it would most likely be within the layers of mud within the lake bed or shorelines, left behind by the ancient waters that carried this sediment. Microbial life is all we can hope for. Despite the Earth being able to sustain all different kinds of life for millions of years, there is little to no chance that large-scale life would have been possible on Mars. No large-scale fossils, petrified wood, or fossilized leaves could be found since these life forms were not on the Earth over 3.5 billion years ago. So if Mars only had ample water available over 3.5 billion years ago, these organisms could not grow. Yet the first traces of life on Earth came into existence 4.5 billion years ago. Microscopic creatures first began wiggling their way across our planet. So these traces of life might have found their way to Mars as well. If we use Mars as a mirror to our own planet, we must use our own history of life as a blueprint for exploration. Our earliest samples of life on Earth come from the land down under in Western Australia in the ancient lands known as the Dresser Formation. We have found some of the oldest rocks on the planet. And within these rocks, the fossils of microbial life remain buried within. These are the clues left behind after billions of years of how life on Earth came to be. The rocks in which these prehistoric traces of life are found are called stromatolites. They are formed by lime-secreting bacteria, 
called cyanobacteria. Their secretions formed with sediment, and billions of years ago, these tiny microbial life forms became trapped inside, only to be found billions of years later. Despite the incredibly long time that has passed, alongside countless storms, climate changes, and erosion, the stromatolites have remained intact. Deep within them, the traces of microbes have gone untouched until recently. Inside something as simple as a rock, we've unlocked clues to life on Earth and the history of humanity. In Western Australia, these rock formations continue to form even today, and who knows what material they might trap, only to be discovered billions of years from now by some unwitting alien life form. On Mars, these are the types of rock we are looking for. Some may be hiding within the Jezero crater, and knowing that Perseverance would be searching for microbial life, scientists made sure the rover would land at the Jezero crater and carry the tools and equipment needed to harvest the rock layers without any trace of earthly contamination whatsoever. In a nail-biting descent, NASA's largest rover successfully landed on Mars February of 2021 and has been roaming the land ever since. The only hindrance for the Perseverance is the inability to study the samples it finds. One day this rover will need to be retrieved from Mars and carried back to Earth to know if life once existed on Mars or ever will exist. The samples the rover collects over the next several years will need to be studied by us. You watch as your automated rover disappears behind the wall of a crater and the quadcopter vanishes into a distant cloud. In search for life, as you look into the rolling mounds of sand, the dry groupings of rocks, and the distant cyclone of dust, you think of the planet and all of its solitude. What we once thought could be here in our wildest imaginations has said more about ourselves and the actual planet. Tales of alien invasions, the War of the Worlds, Marvin the Martian, Mars Attacks. The planet only lends its emptiness to squash myths and legends. No bug-eyed aliens with massive brains have been found. Yet. The display of your helmet clicks on, and the interior screen transplants your vision to the front seat of your quadcopter as you remotely control its movements. A lulling hum comes from each rotor as you gain altitude, flying over the endless valleys and canyons of the surface. The quadcopter picks up speed, rushing just above the uneven ground below. Pillars of rock pass by. A deep canyon rests below, where once an ancient river might have run. A gust of wind pushes you out of the flight pattern, but you grip the controller and recorrect its course. In April 2021, the first ever controlled flight occurred in the thin atmosphere of Mars. Named Ingenuity, this small aircraft hitched a ride to Mars within a small compartment of the Perseverance rover. After the rover had reached a suitable airfield location, it released Ingenuity onto the ground, and the NASA astronauts could remotely control the tiny helicopter from their station back here on Earth. The goal of Ingenuity was to perform a series of test flights on Mars over 30 days. Its first flight occurred on April 19, 2021 and flew 10 feet into the air. This became the first ever 
powered remotely operated flight on another planet. The helicopter went on to complete several more tests of greater height and distance, proving to the world that flight surveillance was now possible on the red planet. The importance of flight on Mars is immeasurable. The advantage of flight supersedes land travel on a planet filled with massive craters, jagged rocks, deep canyons, and tall mountains. The rovers of Mars are often hindered by boulders and canyons, so these small helicopters can cover much greater distances, even with the complications of flying in unfamiliar conditions. Since the atmosphere on Mars is 100 times thinner than the atmosphere on Earth. In complete control of your quadcopter, you pass the wall of a crater as it disappears within a gust of sand. In the corner of your vision, a digital map appears, a grid pattern of white lines above a green background. On the map, one lone yellow dot blinks just ahead of you. The blinking dot calls you forward, flashing in a signal you recognize. Morse code. Three dots. Three long dashes. Three dots. The signal for SOS. In the distance, you see the jagged horizon. A dark cloud hangs above a mountainous plain, and a shade of red casts across your flight path. Quickly, the dust picks up into the sky and obscures your vision as you try to navigate around the storm. The SOS signal continues to blink. The yellow dot on your map calls for help. As your vision fades, you try to change course. You turn the quadcopter hard left in hopes of finding a clearing in the storm. The static on your display grows, and the signal strength weakens. The beacon icon in the top right corner of your HUD blinks with a warning. A robotic voice enters your helmet. Caution. High winds and low visibility. Caution advised. You consider turning back, but the SOS signal is just ahead. Only 200 more feet, according to your map. In a sandstorm like this, the winds might be more torrential in whichever direction you choose. So you continue on through the gusts of wind towards the blip on your map. Tiny pellets of rock strike at the propellers, and you fight against the wind gusts. The sunlight fades as the storm grows, so you switch on the floodlights. As you begin your descent, your vision through the display is nearly incomprehensible. With the sandstorm clouds ahead of you, you rely solely on the blinking dot of your map to guide you through the wall of sand. A small meter on the left-hand side of your HUD gauges your elevation. You carefully descend just above the blinking dot and you turn the onboard camera downwards in hopes of finding the object sending out the distress signal. The quadcopter hovers not 10 feet above the surface and the only thing you can see below is more sand. Tons and tons of sand whipping around the ground. Layers of red dust building upon itself. You lower the quadcopter even more and the SOS signal blinks at the heart of your map. You should be directly above what 
or possibly who is calling for help. Before touching the ground, you see a glint of something metallic within the sand, something buried, a victim to the storm. So you activate the mechanical arm of your quadcopter and switch on the pressurized air nozzle at its end. The layers of sand gently fall away as you uncover the object. You realize the metal object in the sand is a solar panel, one that you often see attached to the top of your rovers. As you continue to uncover the rover, the storm lets up, the winds die down, but the shroud of sand doesn't completely give out. A storm like this could last for weeks, and all you've found is a short bit of relief in the madness. Without fully relenting, the sand clouds begin to break up just enough, allowing a bit of sunshine to seep through. You continue uncovering the lost rover, and about halfway through the excavation of the giant machine, its SOS signal fades away. Upon the rover, a green charging light turns on. Once coated in layers of sand and dust, the solar panels can finally absorb the sun's energy. Its mechanical lights beam into the dirty air, and small motors begin churning inside the white exterior body. The onboard cameras swivel into action. After being stranded, buried, and left for dead, this long-lost rover is alive once again. On the surface of Mars, sandstorms can often build to the size of continents and blast their way across the planet. These storms occur every year without a doubt, and they can last for weeks at a time. If these annual storms weren't enough already, once every three Martian years, the sandstorms could grow into a sand blizzard that covers the entire planet, leaving no stone uncovered. These global dust storms can reach up to 60 mile per hour winds, but keep in mind that the atmosphere on Mars is much different than Earth's. So 60 miles per hour winds are a bit less harmful on Mars than they are here on Earth. Nevertheless, these storms can be highly detrimental. And if we were to consider life on Mars, even for ourselves, we need to keep these storms in mind. The dust on Mars covers everything. It covers solar panels and rovers and can find its way into the small mechanical gears that jeopardize a rover's mission. Rising plumes of sand and dust have been seen a half mile high into the air. And in the summer months, the storms are even worse. The hot winds can cause the dust to rise even higher, scattering dust across the entire planet. You see through the quadcopter display that the air nozzle has successfully uncovered most of the SUV-sized rover. All of its cameras and robotic arms can freely move and its wheels are barely enough to maneuver their way out of the sand. Dust continues to fly through the skies, but gives way for a few beams of sunlight to breach the storm. You had lost this rover to the storm some weeks ago after you sent it on a mission to retrieve rock samples. There's no telling what the rover found until it returns to base, but its compartments could be filled with evidence of life, or so you hope. Besides weathering the storm and hoping its batteries recharge from the sparing sunlight, there's not much more the rover can do. Until then, ascend the quadcopter 
and fight your way against the soot and wind. Reaching the edge of the storm, you remember the months you've been trapped inside your base during a global dust storm. And what you just saw out there pales in comparison to what you endured during those months. On the surface, you and your entire project are subjected to the harshest winds and the heaviest sandstorms. And losing a rover to the unyielding storms is a risk we take on the surface of Mars. The quadcopter clears the storm and you avoid flying any closer than you have to. You take the long route back to base, flying over a new set of canyons and craters, all open to the mercy of the storms. You pass over a massive opening, where in its center stands a shallow hill in the shape of a shield lying on its back. It rests very low to the ground, and you suspect it could be a shallow volcano. As you descend closer to the surface, you see several openings around the hill. Tiny fractures appear around the surface, and from what you can see, this volcano is no longer active, and the large gaps left behind are the channels where lava once flowed beneath the surface. If the storm were to move, these underground channels would be the perfect place to wait out the storm. For an entire planet, plagued by the misery of its surface, these Martian lava tubes might be the key to surviving on Mars. Besides its cold, arid surface, lack of oxygen, and lack of water, the most aggressive cause of death on Mars is its unfiltered solar radiation. It doesn't significantly affect roaming machines or remotely controlled helicopters. But for biological life, this radiation will kill anything within its grasp. Unlike Mars, the Earth is protected by a massive magnetic shield called a magnetosphere. And without this shield, electromagnetic rays would obliterate our cells and DNA. We wouldn't survive long in these conditions. These ionized particles constantly move through space alongside solar winds and cosmic rays, pelt the entire galaxy outside of our shield. The only people to leave the magnetosphere and experience this radiation were the Apollo astronauts. Even after a few days of exposure, they reported headaches, flashes of light, and cataracts, despite the protection of their spacesuits. Even the astronauts who board the International Space Station accept a higher risk of cancer when exposed to space radiation. There is only so much we can do to protect spacecraft or potential habitats from the unrelenting radiation that floats throughout the cosmos. Luckily, the more we uncover the secrets of Mars, the better we can protect ourselves against its hostility. A recently discovered area, known as Hellas Planitia, harbors a series of giant lava tubes inside of an impact basin. Not only is this region filled with lava tubes, but its elevation is also lower than most compared to other impact basins on Mars. This means the lower you are on the surface, the more of Mars' atmosphere can protect you from the radiation above. About 50% less radiation reaches this basin compared to the higher regions. On top of that, researchers suggest that within the extensive channels of the lava tubes, 
an even smaller fraction of radiation reaches through, possibly even five times less. It would be closer to x-raying your teeth a few times a day, rather than standing within a shower of nuclear fallout. These lava tubes are similar to those found on Earth, yet because of Mars' thinner atmosphere, the tubes on Mars are much, much larger. They were formed by ancient volcanoes when lava once flowed through shallow channels. The external surface of the lava channels cooled more quickly and left behind a hardened crust. In a cosmic coincidence, when all of Earth's dinosaurs perished, every Mars volcano became inactive. Eventually, the lava subsided, and all that remained were these massive channels beneath the surface. Many scientists suggest that these lava tubes could one day be used for shelter. Seal the ends, heat and pressurize the insides, and we could have a fully functional living space on Mars, protected from the radiation of space. Rather than retrieving samples and waiting years to send them back to Earth for study, we could have our very own research station on Mars one day. In your search for life on Mars, you prevail as the only living thing to walk its surface. You land the quadcopter at your feet, and before you disconnect the display, you see yourself in your spacesuit walking towards the copter. The display feed cuts out, and you pick up the helicopter by its legs, dust it off, and return it to the garage. You head back to base, and although you feel defeated after another day of finding no trace of life, you accept the success of finding your old rover. In the interim entrance chamber, the inbuilt hoses sanitize your suit, and you return to the dark hole of your research area. On the wall, the exterior thermostat reads negative 220 degrees in a bright green display. You take a moment to walk over to the fireplace, where you activate the interior moxie device, and it slowly pumps a breath of oxygen towards the dry kindling. And with the spark of a match, you ignite the fire. The dry logs burn fast and crackle with a sound that reminds you of home, a place you only see in memories, or as a distant star in the night sky. You sit cross-legged at the edge of the fire where the heat warms your suit. From your small refrigerator box, you unpack an all-American hot dog from its sleeve and begin roasting it over the coals. Its skin gently cracks and pops at the end of your roasting stick, and bubbles of liquid slide across its rind as it quickly browns above a lick of flame. You tuck the dog to a bed between a soft bun and a paint line of yellow mustard on its side. In a year, you will return home, shot from the surface of Mars within a small pod, captured by an orbiting rocket, and shipped back home between the stars. But until then, the only recollection of home is the ballpark Frank, resting warmly in your hands, 140 million miles from Earth. This concludes our journey to Planet Sleep for tonight. I hope you found some peace and serenity in the rocky red planet of Mars. 
I hope you'll join us on our next adventure to Planet Sleep. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. And if you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or leave us a comment on YouTube. But until our next exploration into our vast solar system, get some rest and I'll see you next time. Sleep easy, my friend.